welcome to Connection. It's Memorial Day weekend. I think it's important, even those of you who are joining us online, that we all together just briefly acknowledge the fact that there are people who have given their lives, men and women, to maintain the freedom that we enjoy in this country. And that's what we do on Memorial Day. And in a small way, it helps remind us of the big thing that Jesus did, which when he gave his life, bought not just freedom for us, but eternal life. Uh, and I just, I think we ought to maybe just pause and reflect on that for a moment. I'm sure at some point tomorrow you will do that as well, and I hope you do. And if you hadn't thought of that, there's an encouragement for you to do that. I also have to mention just right up front that we all know that this has been an awful week, and it's been a, an awful month. So many violent things that have happened that should never have happened, and it's actually been a pretty bad year and decade in terms of those things, and that's partly how the world is and how it's been since our first parents Adam and Eve sinned and introduced sin into the world which brought death and things are not the way they should be but we are thankful to Jesus that he is the prince of peace and he is fixing that and so if your heart is heavy and there are a lot of people who are grieving right now and there are a lot of people who just don't understand why these things happen there even may be people who wonder why God doesn't stop some of the things that happen just know that he is in the process of fixing it all and this is why we come and we gather and we worship and we trust him because we know there's coming a day when this will all be made right and there will truly be peace and there will be no more war and there will be no more violence and people will not lose their lives. But right now, uh, I think we just need to acknowledge all of this through prayer. So if you would join me, let's go to our Father. And God, we do come before you. We acknowledge that there is no peace outside of you. And anytime we try, it's a small uh, measure of what really could be. If we were truly in you, we would be at peace with each other. And we're working so hard toward that. We submit our lives to you. We just pray that you will be the God of peace for people who are mourning and grieving right now and don't know what to do next and who are so terribly disappointed and hurt by what has happened. Uh, we, Father, just ask for you to pour out your grace on our country. We repent of any sins that we are adding to the mix that make things worse. We want to be a place that's truly submitted to you, people who are truly learning to live in your light. And we pray for you to fix what's wrong with our lives, fix what's wrong with our country, with our world, so that there will truly be peace where people will live in harmony with one another again. We know that that day is coming. We want it to come quickly. Jesus, we pray for you to come quickly. We thank you for the patience and the kindness that you show, that every moment that you delay, that's another moment for someone to turn their lives to you, and we ask for that to happen. Help us be part of that process. We're thankful for people who have willingly gave up their lives to serve others. We thank you for that gift. It reminds us of the gift, Jesus, that you gave us. Uh, this morning, will you just open our hearts and our minds, help us to focus on what it is you would have to, us to learn through your word, that we would walk out of here changed and knowing that we have completely been in your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How do you feel when you see something that's just not fair? Maybe it's even you. You're on the, uh, the wrong side of an injustice. There's just something that's not right, whether it's playing a board game with your family or when it's in traffic and somebody goes when it's not their turn. How do you feel when you face injustice? Are you as indignant as I am? I'm way too attuned to injustices. I recognize that about myself. I was actually that way a long time before I realized it about myself. One of the things my family did to try to assuage a little bit of this when we were growing up was if you were cutting whatever, like the pie or the cake, the other person gets to choose the piece. Saved a whole lot of fights in our family because, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut the slice and I'm going to take the biggest slice. So, no, if I cut, you pick and vice versa. So, I don't know if that helps you. Maybe there's a thing that you go, this is the thing I needed today. This is what I came for. But I, I don't know if you are somebody who's very attuned to injustices when they happen. Those things happen all the time. Case in point, a few years ago, the Go Marathon here in St. Louis and the Half Marathon were being run. And uh, Kendall Schlier, 
from Columbia, Missouri, I'm saying her name because she was in the news, came in first place for the full marathon, ran across the line, she immediately got to have her picture taken with Jackie Joyner-Kersey, she won $1,500 in prize money, she was uh, qualified for the Boston Marathon, woo, this is great for her, right? and as she's coming across the line, there's all these people who are running the half marathon crossing with her, but they just, they recognize she's a marathoner, and she's won, but then, six minutes later, the second place women's runner in the full marathon, not the half, came across the line. But she had all the lead cars with her, accompanying her across the line. All the hoopla was around. And she looked like she had just finished 26 miles, whereas Kendall looked like she'd stepped straight out of the mall. Something wasn't right here. So if race officials are going, this isn't quite sync up, they started looking, and Kendall's chip on her bib, the electronic chip had, chip had not crossed a single checkpoint in the 26-mile course. In fact, there weren't any photographs of her anywhere on the 26-mile course, and none of the race officials remembered seeing her anywhere along the race course. It was very quickly determined that Kendall had waited towards the end of the race course and kind of inserted her into the pack and just ran across the line. What she didn't realize she had done was because of all the half marathoners, she'd put herself six minutes in the lead as if she was setting a new Olympic time for this race. Very quickly, they moved Kendall from first place to last place because she didn't actually run that thing. And I think, well, that's how a story should end. People who are trying to cheat should get what's coming to them and get booted out because it's just not fair. And if you've ever said those words or if you've heard your kids say it in the back of the car, he's breathing my air. Tell her to stop looking out my window. It's not fair. Yeah. If there's something in you that resonates with that, I've got a question for you. I want you to really think about this. Do you want God to be fair with you? And you're like, of course. Uh, just a second. I want you to think about it. Jesus actually told a story about this. It's in Matthew chapter 20. I invite you to go ahead and take a Bible and find Matthew 20. Use the table of contents. It's okay. If you're watching online, you can see the verses. They'll be on the screen. Of course, for you here in the room as well, you can see that. If you want to use your Bible app, there's a QR code on the screen here behind me, and you can look at that with your phone's camera, and it'll pull up Matthew 20. Feel free to use the table of contents, as I said. Matthew is one of the four Gospels. Matthew was one of Jesus' followers. He remembers some of the stories that Jesus told, and that's what we're actually doing in this series. Uh, have I got a story for you? We're looking at stories or parables that Jesus told, and Jesus was not only the world's wisest, smartest person who ever lived, but he also was was a great storyteller, an awesome communicator, and he would tell these parables that would carry a, a payload of truth inside of them. And somebody's described a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's just a story on one level. It's just an interesting little story, but then if you chew on it like beef jerky, you're eventually going to get something out of it. And sometimes that was the way Jesus taught. He'd make you think about something. It's like almost like popcorn hull stuck in your gum, and you keep working at it till you figure out what was he saying. Because sometimes Jesus knows he's, he's telling us absolute truth, but we don't always want to hear it. We don't always accept truth. We, we have thought something different for so long, or we just don't like the ramifications of it. So he'll give us the truth in a way that you can accept it or reject it and, and come to terms with it. And this story in Matthew 20 is one of those times where he gives us something challenging to consider, and I hope that you'll be open-minded to what he has to say, because this is really a story about, do you really want to be treated fairly by God? And it's an invitation to reevaluate yourself and reevaluate the people around you in light of how God does treat all of us. Let's go ahead and dig in. Chapter 20, verse 1. 
for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. I'm going to go ahead and go on down to verse 2. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage, a denarius, literally, and he sent them out to work. So Jesus starts off this story with the vineyard owner. There's something that would have been obvious immediately to Jesus' audience that's not obvious to us unless you've studied the Bible quite a bit. You might know this. But uh, when he starts talking about a vineyard and a vineyard owner, everybody's mind immediately knows where to go with that. In the same way, if I started a story with once upon a time, is that going to be a true story? So you know that. That's how we start stories when we're saying, well, this is not really, this is a story I made up. If I were to say, once upon a time, two boys walked into a dark forest and storm clouds were coming on the horizon, is this going to be a happy story? Is this going to be? So we know these are little tip-offs when you start to tell a story. The same way when Jesus said there was a vineyard owner who had a vineyard, everybody immediately knows where to go 2,000 years ago with this story because they're all Israelites. They're all Jewish. The whole Old Testament, who does the vineyard owner represent? That's God. They've heard this before in all of their you know, Bible classes. And the vineyard is the good place. It's the place where God and habits. It's the place of peace. It's the place where you find everything you need. It's, it's like uh, you've just opened up the candy bar and there's a gold ticket to Willy Wonka's factory. You want to be in the vineyard and you like the vineyard owner. So that's immediately what people are thinking about when Jesus says there once was a vineyard owner who needed some uh, people to work for him. And he goes out because he's been monitoring the condition of his grapes all season. I don't know a whole lot about this, but I do know that there's a very narrow window of time when the grapes are just right. They're not, it's not too soon but they're just the perfect balance of acidity and sweetness to make good wine. And when that point hits, you got to get them off the vine quickly and get started processing them. Because if you wait a little bit too long, it could start raining and then you get mold or they wait too long and they could get too mature and too ripe. They start dropping off the vines and, you know, they, they're too sweet and they're not good anymore. So when you've got that window of opportunity that opens, you've got to get them picked quickly, which is what this landowner, this vineyard owner has the situation of. I need to get them off the vine today. I need a lot of workers. 2,000 years ago, you wouldn't do it. You, do, you don't go to a temp agency. They would go to the city, to the central square, and anyone who wanted to work would be there waiting. So it's five in the morning, six in the morning. The vineyard owner goes to the place where he goes to hire a bunch of people to work, and so that's what he does. And he hires a bunch of people, go pick grapes in my vineyard. I'm going to pay you a denarius. And if you caught last week's message, a denarius is simply a day's pay. So in your own head, just translate, what do you make in one day? That's what he's agreed to pay them a very fair wage. And so this is a, a scene that starts with a great need. The people who are in this story know the people who are sitting on the town square aren't there because they want to work on their tan. It's not because they're just hanging out to see who passes by. They need work. The vineyard owner needs workers. So we start with this need. It's a situation where they all agree to go work. And again, our experience today in 2022 in Darden Prairie is quite a bit different than the experience 2,000 years ago for the average Jewish person who would find themselves waiting in a marketplace for somebody to hire them. You know how we use the expression living paycheck to paycheck and with the way inflation and gas prices have done, you might feel like sometimes you're, there's more month than money. Back then, it wasn't paycheck to paycheck. It was day to day, as in, if I don't work today, my family does not eat tonight. Very different circumstance. A lot of the people who are there waiting for a job, waiting to be hired, they're in poverty. And, you know, sometimes people in the past or even in current day know what that's like, even so in America. 
There's a great book I read several years ago, The Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio, how my mom raised 10 kids on 25 words or less. She would write in for contests, and she'd win all these contests to raise money for their family. 10 kids, I can't imagine that. But Terry Ryan was the author, and he talks about one day, food was so tight in their house, their mom got creative for lunch. She made soup out of all the spices that were in the spice cabinet. Just like emptying everything into the pot and trying to make that work, trying to stretch. You got 10 kids to feed. So Terry's brother, Bruce, is looking at the soup, and he said, Mom, what are these black specks? Are there bugs in the soup, Mom? She's like, no, there's no bugs in the soup. Then his little sister, I think it was Susie or Betsy, she says, Mom, do spices have legs? <laughs> I don't know if there were bugs in the soup or not. But mom was adamant, this is a bug-free soup, eat your soup. And they did, because they're hungry. So when the guys show up at the marketplace at five in the morning, hoping to be hired, you know what they're hoping is, am I able to feed my family tonight? Or will the spices have legs in the soup tonight? And then the vineyard owner shows up and says, you fellas need a job? Come on and work at my vineyard awesome. There's actually going to be chicken in the pot tonight. And they agree to work for a denarius, and they are so happy. So go on down to verse 3. A little few, little few hours later into the morning, at 9 o'clock in the morning, the vineyard owner was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in his vineyard, and then at noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. Now, is anything in you just start ringing a little warning bells? Because what did he tell them he would pay them? Right. I'll pay you what's right, which is open to interpretation. How many times have you been taken advantage of by somebody who says, oh, I'll treat you right, <laughs> and they don't? And open, open to interpretation as in, well, at the end of the day, you got to spend time in my amazing vineyard with the sunlight and your fellow employees and you all sang some songs and you should just feel blessed that you got to spend some time with me. That's your pay. Now take it and go. So they're taking a risk here, going to work without a dollar amount firmly negotiated and agreed to ahead of time. But if you're standing at a marketplace at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, isn't that a risk you're just going to have to take? What else are you going to do? No one else has hired you. It's desperation time. Maybe the guy will pay. Maybe he'll pay something. Maybe there'll be enough, a little bit. Something's better than nothing. So they all go to agree for him. Now, this is where things get um, interesting. Verse 6 and verse 7. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, one hour till quitting time, the vineyard owner was in town again, and he saw more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they said to him, because we are teenagers, it's what we do. <laughs> it's not what it says. No, they replied, because no one's hired us. And the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Think about this. The sun is going down in the west right now. It's 5 o'clock. It's, it's close to quitting time. It's an hour. By the time they get to the vineyard, how much are they going to really accomplish? But they go. Because what else are they going to do? I don't know if these people have been literally sitting here all day waiting for a job, just sitting here because there's nothing else to do. Obviously, we're not getting hired today, but I don't want to go home and face my family yet and tell them we didn't get a job. So, Or, or maybe they just got up, really. I don't know why they're there at 5 o'clock, but the vineyard owner offers them a job. Now, 
makes no sense to me, at least. If I'm the vineyard owner, why would I hire somebody to work for an hour? Kind of like selling pumpkins on November 1st. Halloween's over. What are you going to get out of this? Does this not, remember, this is a story Jesus told. He made this up. Does this not start to tell you a little bit of something about the kind of person who would go out and see people who needed a job and offered them a job simply because they needed it? I don't know that he really needed the workers anymore, but they needed a job. I told you, the vineyard owner is a good person. Well, let's see what happens next. They go, and they go to pick. But I gotta ask why Jesus would uh, tell the story the way he did. Because you remember this is a made-up story, right? There wasn't actually a vineyard owner doing this. In fact, I don't know that anybody actually would really do this. Jesus is trying to communicate something to us as well about the nature of God, not just about some you know, hypothetical business owner somewhere who hires people he doesn't really have to. He's trying to give us a tip-off about the character and nature of our God who sees people and sees the need that they are in and responds with, responds with kindness and grace. Who else would hire somebody simply because he recognizes you need something that I've got? Well, let's go on. Verse eight. That evening, the vineyard owner told the foreman, call the workers in, pay them, beginning with the last workers first. And so when those were hired last, the ones who were hired at five o'clock, they've worked an hour, were paid, they each received a full day's wage. Literally, they received a denarius. Whatever number that is in your head, that's what they got. They worked one hour, they got a full day's pay. All right, so this is awesome. I'm just imagining all these people going, what the heck, boss? They're talking to the foreman like, I got a whole denarius here, but I only worked an hour. I think that belongs to those guys over there. There's no, no mistake here, guys. That's your pay. Just take it, go home, have a good evening, which is a great thing. Like, I worked an hour. I worked since noon. I worked since 3 o'clock. I get a full day's pay. This is just awesome. I told you the vineyard owner's a good man. Now, here's my question to you. What do you think the people who were hired at 6 in the morning are thinking right now? Oh, man. Well, if he paid them that much, how much are we going to get? And this is where we get a great complaint. Verse 10. When those who were hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too received a day's page, a denarius. Oh, snap, Houston, we have a problem. And that leads to really a lot of complaining. Verse 11, verse 12. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in this scorching heat. You have made them equal to us. Oh, how quickly we forget. Where were all of you at six in the morning? All of you were sitting in a court, courtyard hoping with everything in your heart that someone would come along and hire you. And now, 12 hours later, oh, we're better than them. We worked all day. We bore the heat of the day, the sun, the carrying the grapes. They worked one hour. I don't know who they are. Well, they're the same as you. They're people who desperately needed something and someone generously provided it. And there's a great answer to this. This is that Jesus wraps up this story. Verse 13, he has the vineyard owner answer one of them. Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Fair, more than fair. Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? And then here's the punchline of Jesus' teaching. So those who are last now will be first then 
and those who are first will be last. Friend, I have not been unfair to you. Friend is like buddy, pal. Hey, come on. And I love it where he says that if I want to be generous, are you just jealous that there's actually a person like that? So maybe you ought to be thankful that there's a man in your town who sees someone who has a great need, needs to feed their family, and who, not because he has to, but because he wants to, provides what those people need. You should be thanking God that there is someone who is that generous, who takes care of everyone, even though he doesn't have to. It's his money, he can do whatever he wants with it. And that's the point of Jesus' whole story. As the vineyard owner, so is God. And as the workers, so are we. It's not a pretty picture, but we need an attitude sometimes, an attitude adjustment sometimes as well, because we can be just as guilty as the people in Jesus' story of starting to think that we're better than the people around us for different reasons, to start thinking that we deserve things more than other people do. I go back to my first question. Do you want God to be fair with you? And I don't mean like the, the, the opposite of that. I don't say like, okay, do you want God to be unfair to you? My question is, do you want God to look at you and treat you exactly as you deserve? In that sense, I'm asking, do you want God to be fair with you? And let's go back and walk through this story again because there's something here that we need to see. The vineyard owner is God, and what is God like? He's generous. He's kind. He looks out for the needs of people who maybe don't even care about him. What are the people who work in the vineyard? It's us. What are we like? After a few laps around the track of church, we start to think we're better than the people who haven't been there yet. We start to think that because I've been working since six in the morning, I've been going to church longer than they have, maybe that God likes me more. Maybe I deserve more of God's privilege and favor because I've been doing more and I've cared more and I've showed up more and I've read my Bible more and I've given more and I've prayed more. And we all forget that every single one of us would be nothing without the grace of God, the kind invitation to join his family, to just realize that everything that we have is a gift from him, and it's nothing that we earned, it's nothing that we somehow gained because we were stellar people, it's simply because God saw us in our great need, and he said, I want to offer you something that you never could have done on your own, and it's my joy, it's my privilege, it's my generosity in action, and I want to give that to you. This is a brilliantly crafted story and it is designed to show us what we really think about ourselves. It allows us to re-examine ourselves in light of who God is and who we all are. And we realize that whether we've been a Christian since 6 a.m. or 5 in the afternoon, we all stand equal before God. I don't know who I got this from, but this has been so helpful to me. I've held on to it for years. There are some ways that you can tell that you've started to put yourself to the front of the line if you're a Christian. I don't know if these will hit home with you or not, but one of the first things that you want to ask yourself is, do I feel superior to other people when I hear about their sin? Is there even something in you that kind of doesn't but does a little guilty pleasure of hearing gossip about what somebody did and got caught doing or you know, got in trouble for? That's a tip-off that you're starting to think of yourself as better than your fellow servants. How about this one? You ever start thinking, well, I've sinned, but I've not sinned as bad as those people have. How about this? Do you believe the longer that you've been in church, the more influence you should have, the more say you should have, the more privileges you should have? It's a symptom of putting yourself to the front of the line and not really seeing yourself in light of who God is and who you are. Do you believe that some people should get their act together before they even come to church? 
I don't know, maybe you're watching online and you're on the other side of that and you feel like you need to get your act together before you come to church. And I'll tell you, that's not how it works. You don't take a bath so you can take a shower. It's, I don't know how, you don't, you know, if you're sick, you go to the hospital. You don't like wait till you're well so that they, you don't bother anybody. And if you need God, you come to church because we all need God. We all know that. And the ones of us who have forgotten that, this is our reminder from Jesus that we all need God to fix what's wrong with us. And you know, you've been here five minutes or five years or 50 years, it doesn't matter. When we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, what Jesus wants us to know is, yeah, maybe some of us got there first, but the line from the cross doesn't run this way. And the people who are, you know, like 85 and just barely made it, they're not at the back of the line. The, Jesus switches the line, and if here is a cross, the line runs this way. We all stand on level ground before Jesus. There is none of us who deserves to be here. There is nothing that you and I could ever do to merit God's favor. And if you ever start thinking that way, and if you ever start finding yourself thinking, well, God wouldn't accept me, that's a reverse pride right there. You're thinking so pridefully of yourself that you're thinking, well, I'm worse than anything that God can handle. And that's just not the truth either. Get over yourself. We're all here. We accept each other as we're changing, just as Christ has accepted us. And the grace of Jesus is for everyone, and it's equally offered. I want you to read this with me. This is from the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to a younger pastor named Titus, and he wrote these words to Titus in chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. He said, once we too were foolish, and we were disobedient. Let me just go ahead and find that right here. And uh, our lives were full of evil and lusts and pleasures, we were misled, we came, became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Holy Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, and it's not something that you earn. It's nothing that you're worthy of or I am worthy of, and it's not something that you gain by doing enough good things to outweigh your bad things. That's just not how it works. You don't want to play in that ballpark at all because you will lose every time. You know, the best person of us, if you like put all the people on pedestals, the person who's been the most perfect person in all of this life it's still from here to the moon to get to the goodness of God. You're just not gonna get there on your own. Thank the Lord, you don't have to. He offers you salvation. He offers you a fresh slate, clean start, and uh, all you have to do is just accept it and say thank you. And that's what he offers you. And in that kind of a scenario where we all come to church and we worship together and we realize, I don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to be here. None of us deserve to be here. But God wants us here out of his grace and his kindness and his mercy, he's invited us to be part of his family and he calls us his children and he transforms us into people who actually can stand to be around each other because that's what he loves to do. He's fixing what's wrong with our world. In that scenario, we don't judge each other. We welcome everyone in and we invite them to come to know Jesus like we do. Now, do we challenge each other? Absolutely. Sometimes you're a jerk and so am I. We need to call each other out on that stuff and we need to submit to Jesus, but it's not so that he'll accept us. That's already happened. And that's the beauty of what we do here together. You have, anybody watch Family Feud? Yeah. All right, so I, I like Family Feud. My family watches sometimes. I'm OG, Richard Dawson. 
that's where I find all the people who really watch the family. So now it's Steve Harvey, right? There was a round recently, that they made rec- uh, history with this one. It's, so at the end of Family Feud, there's something called Fast Money. You're probably aware of it. They'll take 100 people and they'll survey them and they'll ask, like, what's your answer to these questions? Then the two people will try to guess the top responses. So in this round of Fast Money, Carla went first and the survey that she was trying to answer in 20 seconds or less, these were the questions. I will read them. It's a survey of 100 married women. Go ahead and just try to think, if, give your own answer as I go through the questions that were asked to her. Survey of 100 married women. Without looking, what does your man have in his hand right now? Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, how perfect a person are you? Name an animal that might qualify as a beast. Other than a thumb, name a finger. Name someone grandma has a picture of on her nightstand. Carla ripped out her answers to all of those, and when she turned around, she had named the number one response to all of those questions. When she turned around and she gave the answers, what does your man have in his hand? The remote, of course, as Jesus intended. On a scale of one to 10, how perfect are you? Seven, animal that might qualify as a beast, a lion. Uh, Other than thumb, index finger, and someone, grandma has a picture of on her nightstand, granddaughter. I think that should be grandson, but granddaughter is the number one answer. So when her cousin Terry came out, you know what Terry discovered? This game's already been won before I ever started. Terry simply had to get two points. And when she answered that first question, she got zero. (laughs) But she got it with the second one. And uh, Steve Harvey then said, I've just found out this set a new record. No one had ever up to that point scored a higher score on Fast Money than than, uh, she did on that first round. And I think about that in terms of what Jesus has done for us. Through Jesus offering his life as a sacrifice on the cross, he put 199.9 points on the board for you. And I don't say 200 only because the point 0001 is your response to it. Because Jesus died for the sins of the entire world, but the entire world won't accept him. I don't know why. I wish it wasn't so. I'm going to do everything I can to persuade everyone to say yes to Jesus. All you have to do to receive this wonderful gift that he offers is to say, I want it. I want to be in. Jesus, I can't fix myself. I need your help. And when you call in the name of the Lord and you call him Lord, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and uh, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's Romans 10. It's that simple. It's not simple from God's perspective. It cost him everything. But you can be a part of what God is doing in the world. Not better than anyone else because you earned it just because you were humble enough to ask for his help and receive it. And new life could start for you right now if you will accept it. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for this grace that you show us, that that you are so good. We could never even imagine to someone as good as you are. (coughs) And someone as kind and merciful. Jesus, how generous you were to literally give up your body and your life to be a substitute for us, to sacrifice yourself, to pay for our sins, and not only to just forgive us, but to invite us to be part of your family. I'm just overwhelmed by that. And we all stand here, and we sit here, and we, when in our hearts, we just acknowledge that you truly should be first place in our lives. And for those of us who struggle and see the gap between what we are and what we should be, just help us remember that it's by your grace and not by anything that we do. Will you help us to come to terms with how we view each other in light of what you've already done for us. Will you help take away any judgmentalism or elitism that we might have and to truly just accept one another as you've accepted us? I pray that if there's anything in the way of somebody moving closer to you this morning, that you just make them aware of it and and help them with great courage to just simply come to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.